I think in terms of my art and what people can take away is that the struggle continues. So there's, there's a line that we can, we can match with Jesus. Right. And for most of us is matching him through the struggle that he lived as Latinos. We identify with him in his struggle, but we also know, and we sometimes forget that the resurrection comes in the end. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice, a podcast that seeks to read the signs of the times through the lens of Catholic social teaching and rediscover our call to work for a more loving and just society. My name is Danny and I'm the social justice coordinator at St. Anthony Catholic Church in Tigard, Oregon and the host of this show. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. I'm so glad you're here and I hope you subscribe to get future episodes. You can subscribe on any of your favorite podcasting platforms such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you're a fellow St. Anthony parishioner, remember you can find this podcast at our church website at satigerorg slash ReclaimingSJ. Whatever platform you choose to listen on, you can expect new episodes monthly on the last Wednesday of the month. In this episode, I speak with Jacqueline Romo, a Chicago-based Latina young adult Catholic who combines her artistic skills with her faith and developed the artwork known as The Passion of the Monarca Migrante, which is a contemporary interpretation of the Stations of the Cross that uses the monarch butterfly, a symbol of the resilience and resistance of the migrant community, to depict Jesus on the Stations of the Cross in his Passion. Jacqueline has inspired many young adults and members in academia with her artistic and theological work. The original artwork is permanently displayed outside the chapel at Dominican University, the school she attended and created this artwork at, and a second set of prints resides outside a chapel in Albuquerque, New Mexico. In addition to talking about art, we spend a lot of time reflecting on the role of language, culture, identity in our faith and struggle for justice. This is also a perfect episode to listen to during this Easter season because of the themes that Jacqueline highlights, the theme of suffering and how The lucha is never the end. We have the hope of the resurrection to look forward to. I, for one, left this interview very inspired and my experiences affirmed. So I'm excited to share this episode with you. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and family on social media. I also welcome any feedback you might have about this episode or the podcast in general. A short feedback form is in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. So without further ado, let's get to it. Enjoy and make sure you stick around after the interview for our teaching segment. Well, welcome to the podcast, Jacqueline. Um, And as I have been doing with all my guests, I want to start by really just jumping into things and, and asking you this question that I've been asking everybody else. Who or what first taught you about living a faith that does justice? Yeah, so when I was reflecting on this question, I think that the the simplest answer would be my family. That's where you first learn about your faith and what that means to you. But then you start realizing that there's like issues in family, right? There's problems or struggles. And so realizing that for my family, we're mixed status family. So some of us are undocumented. uh, Some of us are um, U.S. citizens and some have more privileges than others, obviously, because of that dynamic. But overall, knowing that you have those struggles and there's those differences um, brought us or brings me back to thinking about justice in a way that um, my family, the root, the, the way my family rooted me in my faith. So um, that's the way I see it. And, and the struggles whatever we've passed hasn't stopped us to really believing in the change that we want to see in the world. Right. So let's say I'm, I'm undocumented, which I am. (laughs) And the faith that my family has taught me is advocating towards that because I'm not the only one. And if I have privileges, then as an undocumented, then I'm able to use my voice and, and the strength that my faith gives me to continue that lucha, that fight. Um, towards that justice. So I would say it starts right in family. Of course, right. Um, and, and I relate with, uh, with the privileges that you're talking about. And even as somebody who um, maybe the rest of the world would say, you know, you are 
marginalized. You're you're part of the the communities that are being oppressed, right? Um, it's it's an interesting how just how um the complexity of um even within those marginalized groups, depending on uh your identity, we all have some privilege, right? And like from a faith perspective, it's like what are the blessings that God's given us? He's putting us on this earth for some reason. And there's some good that we have that he's given us to share with others. And so like, it sounds like with you, it's like, it's your voice, you know, it's your, your education that you've been able to get and, and, and using that, what it, whatever gifts that you have to kind of speak up for people like you and, and, and others that are, are, are marginalized. That's right. And just you saying the voice, I mean, that's, that's been the, the way to, to do that. So the education portion of my life is what really drove me into thinking, well, this is, this is God right now, you know, working in my life where in high school, I might've thought I'm not even going to get into college because I can't afford college. My, my family can't afford college for me. Um, and then here I, I, I start community college and then I, I'm done with community college. And then right before I'm done with community college, I get a scholarship and the scholarship opens my doors to um, Dominican. And then another opportunity where I'm like, wow, I'm at Dominican. Like this was my dream school in the beginning. Um, and somehow I'm still back here, you know? So God just kept opening, opening doors for you. Exactly. And, and just being open to them because I, I'm putting myself out there, um, obviously using my voice and really praying for the things that, that, um, that I wanted or, or thought that I needed. And so really seeing God's hand at work um, in every place that I find myself. And now I'm, I'm even studying a master's degree, something that I didn't even think about at any point in my life. Um, so, so that's a little bit <laughs> on education and my voice. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And, and I relate with that um, a lot. And, and it's interesting that you said that, you know, you prayed for things that you, that you wanted or, or you think that you needed. And it makes me think of how sometimes we pray for things that we think we want, but it turns out that's not really what God wants for us, or is that that's not really what we need for us. I don't know if if, uh, if that resonates with you, or if you have a moment in your life where that's kind of um, be- become true for you, where you pray for something and like you later find out you're like, actually, you know, I think I was praying for the wrong thing, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I see it reflected um, even just thinking about well, what am I going to study when I already have the opportunity of being at the university level. So what am I going to study? What is what is going to be the right the right course of action? Because I knew I couldn't study something that I wasn't good at. And even though that would generate income, it wouldn't be something that I wanted. So um, I knew I couldn't do that. And if I tried, let's say I was interested in psychology in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a psychologist. Like, that's something that I can do. And then I took two classes in psychology and I'm just like, no, this is not what I'm going to do. Um, and that's where maybe a little bit of that privilege comes in, where you know that um, sometimes you could afford to make those mistakes. Sometimes you can't. Mm. In, in my situation, I was able to just slightly um, take advantage of that privilege because I had the scholarship. But I, I risked a lot. And, and when I really discerned what I wanted to do, I went and studied graphic design. And while that opened many doors for me, I feel like it's something that it's not defined. It's not something that I, that I'm, I'm saying I'm a graphic designer. Um, it's part of me, but I'm not just that, you know, I am so involved in so many other things and I really like to learn about so many things and I'm not going to be a professional in all things uh, or one specific thing. I, I like to like, uh, de todo. Yeah. <laughs> and that's more like me. And so uh, that's what I realized that, that I was praying for something very specific, but that's not what I got. And, and I feel much better knowing a little bit of everything than knowing one thing completely, which you never really can do. But. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're making me think, have you watched the movie Encanto? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the, you're making me think of that conversation, that movie, because, um, you know, you're talking about your privileges and then kind of your journey with um, discovering your gifts, right. And, and what you're good at, what you're not. And that's kind of like the whole, you know, um, basis of the whole movie, right? Is like everybody gets this gift and this magical power. And it's very uh, representative of, of our life journey, right? Is really one of discovering the gifts God's given us and how we're going to use them. 
and remembering that we're not defined by our gifts or what we're good at, but we're defined by who we are, sons and daughters of of of, uh, of God, right? Um, so before we go into your your art, um, and you said you uh, studied graphic graphic design, I guess I'm curious with with this movie in mind, like what were some of those those gifts that you think you were given, and 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 when did you start discovering them? And was art one of those gifts that like you've kind of known from the beginning that this is something God's given me to to do something good with? Yeah, so art has definitely been one of the first gifts that I I, I knew that I was, um, or I I felt called to to really exercise. But I think that in addition to the art, because there's always like the way I see it is I I can make an art piece. Someone can see that art piece, not get anything out of it. Someone can someone else can see it and say, "Whoa, you just explained my entire life." Um, so there are different aspects of like what what way or what layers of your life can come out even in just one art piece so definitely art has been a a gift for me I don't feel like this is another this is probably just me thinking about myself um I don't I don't feel like always an artist you know so I yes I created an art piece that was that, that has had a lot of success but I also feel like there are times where I can't get any art piece through my, my mind, you know, I can't make, or I can't create. Um, so sometimes it's like, am I really an artist then if I can't just get past one, one struggle. Um, but then that comes to thinking, well, what are other gifts that maybe that, that may supplement it. Right. So I'm thinking about maybe uh, my faith. So really interesting way of understanding theology and and that that has been a blessing but I, again i don't consider myself just a theologian mm-hmm. um i think that that's where all the other gifts come into play where one lacks the other one comes up and shows up you know i was reading on your website as you were describing this this art piece well i'll ask you to to do yourself in a second but there was i want to read a quote for listeners that just really um resonated and stood out with me and you said while no two border crossing stories are the same, in every story, there are similarities, struggle, faith, survival, accompaniment, and miracles. And that's so true, right? Um, and I, it made me wonder about you and, and, and your, your journey. Where have you seen this struggle, this faith, this survival, this accompaniment, and miracles um, play out in your life? Very interesting that you pointed that out because I feel like that's something so resonant to our community as a Latina. I would say that we feed off of what our, our parents or, or what our tios or tias, grandparents tell us stories about who we are. And so when I was hearing what I've grown up and, and I've heard stories of how my, my mom or my dad would cross the border, right? Um, or did cross the border once. But um, then I, I realized, well, there's more to it. There's my tia, my cousin, my mom's cousin, you know, all of them do, doing it. And um, just the struggles that they've lived through, whether it was um, the weather that day or whether it was like a bad experience of someone doing something bad to them. And I felt like all of those stories, if not heard, then they kind of like start disappearing. And so when you hear almost in all those kinds of stories, you see, you, you, you see the patterns of struggle, you see the patterns of faith, of survival. Um, and mostly because, I mean, that's who we are. We can't deny, we can't deny that we have all of those things. And that's the reason why we're here today. So um, if I were to say, if in my life where, where faith has, has allowed me to, to be hopeful, that I would say, yeah, then those struggles that faith, that um, that mode of survival, looking for survival, I've experienced it even in the maybe not as extreme as a border story, but I've experienced it just growing up here in the U.S. in Chicago in a in a predominantly Mexican community uh, where there's violence, where there's um, sometimes education is not where you thought or your parents thought you you would get, but it's better than what they had before. So. Um, that, that's where you see God's hands um, in the direction that your life takes and the decisions that you're able to, because we're, we're free to make decisions, the decisions that we make um, are 
I would say are based on, on what we hear in God's voice for us. So um, that's, that's like a circle, spinning circle for me. So tell us about the art piece, the passion of the Monorca Migrante that you created as a, was that like a, a thesis project, right? Or something like that? Yes. So while I was a Dominican as a, this is my last year, I was also studying, I was the first to study the, or going to the program with CTU as a four plus one. And so as a senior, I had already taken one class at CTU, which was on pastoral ministry. And my professor there, Father Eddie, he, he taught the class on pastoral ministry. And he, the first thing he started with was murals. And I was like, wait, are we in an art class? Are we taking, this is, I I also minored in art history. So at the same time, I was studying art at Dominican while pastoral ministry was talking about art at CTU. And so um, I found a way that I was, I knew I was going to create this art work for my senior thesis at Dominican. And at the same time, I was taking a class on um, interpreting the, the, the Bible in Spanglish. And so um, while doing that, I said, well, how do I should combine both things? Um, and I did. So I, I really pushed my, my mind into thinking, well, what is something that, how, how can the Bible be in, interpreted in Spanglish? Because that's my life. I mean, I, I speak Spanish and English um, and, and both things come up at the same time in my mind. And so that's where I feel more comfortable. But I felt like at Dominican, not everyone had that same language I did and not everybody knew my background. Not everybody knew about the story of migrants crossing the border. Um, and I had also taken a class on a theology class on crossing uh, the border being um, the borderlands. And so all of these things are informing me at the same time. And um, lucky enough that I knew that my thesis project was going to be presented either one, two options, a week before, no, a week after um, Palm Sunday, and then the Palm Sunday option. And I said, wow, what a perfect thing. So I thought, well, what is some section in the Bible that I can really make an, an art piece out of? And since I've been very involved in my church, it was um, the Via Crucis, so the Stations of the Cross. And so that's how I started thinking, okay, the Passion of Christ is read on, on the Palm Sunday. It's the longest reading in the entire um, liturgy of the, the, the calendar, the Catholic calendar. And I was, it was lucky for me that it coincided with my art exhibit being open. And so I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And, but I'm going to do a spin on it. I'm going to do a, a Latino spin on it. And that's how I created the Monarca representing Jesus, but also in the setting of the border. Um, mm. And that's how that came to be. And I do want to highlight that I feel like I wasn't the only one um, creating these pieces or these stations. I, I really, I mean, I was very lucky to have friends at the ministry center who I would talk to and I say, hey, what do you guys think about this station? Would it make sense this way? And they would help me. So it, it wasn't just me creating this whole piece. It was really everybody around me. And it was what I had lived in my past um, as a, an undocumented um, student. It was family history. It was um, the Latino history that we all know or don't know. And that's what I really wanted to bring down to the floor and bring something different to, to Dominican. And thank you, Dominican, for also um, being open to that. Yeah, I, I'm just so fascinated by the class. First of all, I'm kind of jealous. I wish I took that class. Like, I've never heard of, of somebody uh, spending, you know, a significant amount of time and energy around this idea of seeing the Bible and the scripture stories through the lens of Spanglish. And um, that resonates so much with me because I too, you know, I, I was born here and spoke Spanish at home and English everywhere else. And, um, and that's, yeah, that's like my, my native tongue, right. Is Spanglish as well. Um, and I, I just want to hear more about that because it's, it's so interesting to me how you, it sounds like you've really, um, uh, taken ownership 
right of that where for some people you know it could be like tú no hablas bien el español right because you mix too much or something like that um and something that i always heard because of how i spoke spanish you know i'm mixing it with english is pues tú no eres ni de aquí ni de allá right you're not from here or there because you don't really even speak like us you can't fully speak spanish and so like it made me think of this question that i want to um ask you is Um, when, if ever, has, you know, language and specifically Spanglish been a point of tension for you or where like you've kind of struggled with that? Um, and when has it been a source of empowerment for you? I think I will, I will always struggle. I will always struggle with it. And, and I see it when I'm at CTU where I'm typing a paper and I'm just like, I'm trying to say this, but it's not coming across. And I, I, I mean, I guess I can say it in Spanish. There is that flexibility at CTU where you could. But um, I also don't feel like I know Spanish that well. And um, I feel like I don't know any language that well. I, I, I feel like that I, that I can express myself in Spanish and English. Um, and I see it even in my family. Sometimes with my fiance, I'll say something in Spanish. And he's like, that's not how you say it. And then. And then he'll say something in English and I'm like, well, that's not how you say it either. <laughs> so now we all have, we both have like word banks where we, we make fun of each other because we said one thing wrong and then the other said the other thing wrong. And it's just, I mean, that's how I see the humor in it, but it is a cultural thing. And, and sometimes it's just being really comfortable and saying, well, this is what I got <laughs> and I'm not the only one. And, and for me, and, and I don't know if you've experienced this, Um, when I eventually came to a point where I owned that, you know, and I, I wasn't, it wasn't like a point of shame, you know, for me, um, I started to realize, wow, like what a gift that I have that, um, through my language that I can be a bridge, um, for others and other groups and communities, specifically, you know, the, the dominant culture here with the immigrant communities that we come from. Um, and then it also made me think, wow, what an opportunity to really expand my relationship with God and how I communicate with him. Whereas when I was first coming back to the faith, you know, I would solely talk to him and learn about him in, in only English. And then I was like, what am I doing here? There's like a whole nother aspect of, of my faith that I can discover through, through Spanish. And then the mixing of the both is just like, whoa, it just keeps going deeper and deeper. Like, I don't know. I'm just sharing like out loud my experience. And I'm wondering if, if you've experienced something similar with your faith and your relationship with God. Very similar. I mean, for a long, long time, I, I wouldn't think of God in, in talking to him in English at all. I, I didn't know my English prayers. I didn't know. And I didn't know so many, so many things or ways to, to, to even communicate. I didn't feel like it was right. And then I had experiences where I would volunteer or even, I think Dominican was my breaking point where I, I was participating in academic theologizing and I was learning more about even the way Hispanics think about theology in the university level in English. And I'm thinking, wow, this is so many things that, okay, my, I know my faith was brought up by my family, but sometimes my family just thinks they do automatic things in faith. And so some like just taking the time to think about Guadalupe and, and all of the, like, we know we believe in her. And I mean, that's, we've grown up with that. We've grown up going to Las Mañanitas. Um, but then when I was in college and I'm like, well, why do we go to Las Mañanitas? I know se le apareció a San Juan Diego, but do I know the exact miracles on the mantra? Do I, do, do I know the details? And, and those are the things that I learned in college, um, oddly enough. And so that's where, that's where I saw a big difference. And so now I don't know if I would still like pray in English, but I know more prayers in English. <laughs> I can go to mass <laughs> in English and still get, you know, richness out of it. Where sometimes before I'm just like, why would I go to an English mass? Um, well, I feel like there's there's some differences, and sometimes bilingual masses, the homily in English or and the other half in Spanish, I feel like I could relate to both of them, even though the priest might be translating everything the same way. I might understand one thing one way in one language than the other the other translation. So I I feel like very lucky that that I can be in that space and still you know, hear both sides. Yeah. And in, in my experience, I, if it seems like sometimes, because sometimes I wonder why, like my family, they resist or hesitate going to like an English mass, you know, or 
um, they don't like bilingual masses, for example. And I'm like, but why not? And, and, and yeah, it's too long and like they get confused, but I'm like, this is such an opportunity to like, you know, because some, like you said, sometimes you express things in Spanish and it's not the same if you try to translate it literally in English and vice versa. There's some things that you can, um, you know, uh, come to a deeper understanding about God when it's, when it's said in a certain way in English and then you translate it like, oh, that doesn't really make sense, you know? Um, but I almost wonder, like, there's this, it, it, I think it maybe it comes back to like people just wanting to maintain their cultural identity and, and Spanish is like the predominant way that our people try to do that is, you know, by, by always censoring that language so that it doesn't get lost like everything else that we've lost by coming to this country. Exactly. Yeah, I think you have a big point on, on that. And I, and I think that's a struggle for many of us, just keeping that identity. But I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it won't it won't change that much because of how strong our faith is. So you, you, you talked about how successful your the passion of the Monorca Migrante has been. And so this was what, a year or two years ago that you made this? So I presented my thesis in April of 2019. So it's going to be three years, I believe. Yeah. So talk about talk about what that process has been like from the creating of it to, to today. Like, um, what's been the response? How have you responded? What have you learned in the process of kind of um, it's, it seems that, you, you know, you've had to talk about this uh, a number of times, right, in different places. So I'm just curious, like how that's um, influenced you and who you are and the decisions that you're hoping to make moving forward. Yes. So. As soon as I presented it, um, one of the things that shocked me was my my design professor's reaction to to the piece when I presented it to the class. First, because they thought that this was an ambitious piece, 15 prints hand hand carved from the linoleum and then printing them and then present mounting them, you know, on the wall. I mean, it was a big process. It, It took the thinking process took about a month. And then you can imagine that it was the entire semester. So if I was thinking about this project starting December of 2018, and then starting the class on the thesis class starting January up until the end of it, which is April, I was working on my thesis that entire time. And so um, even that that week when it was due, I wasn't done. I, I was not done. And my professor was like, wow, you, you're 15 prints that's ambitious you 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 have a plan and I'm like yeah yeah I've got it and then we had I was involved in the church I was working two jobs I was a full-time student so many things were going on and just to know that that I was taking taking my artwork everywhere I went anytime I had five minutes to spare I was carving that thing like there was no tomorrow and so um that that's one of the things that I feel like (laughs) I carried that everywhere and so bringing that into the space, my, my design professor, um, after I explained every station, first time, I didn't think I was going to go through it like that. I was just going to, you know, hey, look at the piece. <laughs> but I, then they told me, well, tell us, walk us through it. And I said, station by station. And then I finally, I, I learned the 15 stations. People don't know them in order, you know. <laughs> You're yeah. like, oh, maybe that's station number six. I don't know what that one is. But I, I eventually learned it because of how much I explained it. But my professor in that in that space, he 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 just started crying. And I'm looking at him like, 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 ¿Qué pasó? <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> and then um, everybody was just like in awe. And he and he explained sort of the way I it was blurry to me now. But sort of what I what I heard him say to the class was this is this is what a thesis project is. And this is what what a whole project looks like. Um, and he he was saying that it, it's not just an art piece. It's not just turning in something just because it's a requirement. Um, I guess he saw he saw everything that I am reflected on that piece. And to me, that was I didn't realize it until I presented it. And then the opening show, um, people just asking, "Well, what is this?" And then me talking through it like fifty times <laughs> with family. And one of the things that I really was open to was it had to be Spanglish it had to be bilingual because I, there was no way no way no way that I was gonna present an art piece my mom would go to the exhibit show and that it was gonna be all in English right and I said Eso no <laughs> so not just my mom my my family too where I knew I had to incorporate something 
in Spanish. And so I made it half and half where the university can understand it and also my, my family. So as soon as I explained it to my family, uh, friends, everybody just wanted to hear it. And then uh, Dominican decided to buy the original piece. So it's now permanently displayed outside of the chapel at Dominican. And um, from there, people just started sharing it, sharing it, sharing it. And then I, I put it into my, my portfolio, my online portfolio. And then my mentors, I like the, the directors at the ministry center. Well, obviously everybody is in, the, in connection ministry. Everybody knows everybody almost. And so that's how it started getting shared. And it went as far as the New Mexico. So I have a second set of print in New Mexico in Albuquerque. And um, I'm just outside of a chapel as well. And just it started going, you know, bigger and bigger. People just heard about it more. And then they're like, wow, we should have like, her speak on it or prayer service or a confirmation retreat and so that's how it's been going since um and people asking me well how can I buy it and I said well it would drive me nuts if I had to make 15 prints every time and mind you this is a lot of work so and it's not cheap um not just the work the amount of hours um and just uh I guess I started learning the appreciation of my art too because the more people wanted it, and I'm just like, well, I can't, I can't do it all. So what I ended up doing was um, scanning or ha having high resolution images of each station and then compiling them digitally, um, having them print on professional paper. And that's how I've been able to share my artwork or more affordable for people to, to do it. And, and that's, that's how I've been able to manage um, while on the same way learning how much should I be charging for this print is there a limit to these because am I going to be doing this forever you know so it, a lot of artistic questions a lot of like <laughs> ethical questions right and a lot about just sharing and, and to me it's just art is to be shared so I don't have an issue with that it's just what I can physically do for myself to share and and that's what I've I've been really open anybody wants to talk about the artwork he wants anybody wants me to share about it uh, bring it in I'm happy to do that anytime. Yeah. Um, I would never say no to anything like that. So, I'm curious what your mom and your family's reaction was when they saw it. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. So my mom was very proud. She, one of the things that when I explained it to them, she was, she, she just didn't believe me. She saw that I was working on it at home. Um, that's what I would do. We watch novelas and she just saw me carving away. And one of the things that she, she knows how I am where I could, she knows that I could be a little bit of procrastinator and leaving things at the end, but that's when I feel like I function the most. Like that's when I feel like there's momentum towards the end. And so she would say, Jacqueline, ya ponte a hacer, ya ponte a hacer, ya ponte a hacer. Like, see, ma, I got it, I got it. And a lot of things was because I was really busy at the time that I couldn't always get to it. But um, when she finally saw the entire piece done, she's like, she's like, wow, um, qué bonito. And and um, and then mm -hmm. when I explained it to my grandma over the over the phone um she she was also very happy and I explained it to my grandma's sister and my grandma's sister cried and I'm like wow this is touching a lot of people and and, and mostly my family and something that maybe sometimes I didn't always have that connection to to because I'm not always a, a very open emotionally person where I, I don't really say I, it's really hard not hard for me but um Sometimes it's just really awkward for me to share feelings. So it's easier for me to show, show them or, or just, uh, you know, talk about things, but not really say something so emotional or sentimental, you know? I mean, that sounds like our whole culture, really. Yeah, my family <laughs> as well. Yeah, like I always growing up, like I remember going to like my friend's house that were like white and my like, gosh, these people tell each other, I love you so much. And I never say, yeah, I like never say that to my family or hear that. And, and then I, as I got older, I realized it's because our culture, we, we show, we do, and we are rather than like say certain things. Yeah, you know? and I think that's one of the things that shocked me the most because I, I mean, I can explain the whole piece and talk about love and, and struggle and sacrifice and all of that. But to, to bring it down to words in a one-on-one -on -one with my mom or my grandma, like, I, I feel like I would get stuck. So, so for me and to see my mom, like kind of take it in and say, wow, this isn't, 
this is awesome. Um, to me, that was that was really big. Yeah. So for me, growing up in earlier, you you talked about how you know sometimes um, you said something about how like the the education or the things that your parents wanted when they came here, um, what maybe wasn't exactly what it ended up becoming of your life, you know and um, like for me, I remember always hearing like, oh, you're going to be a businessman. You're going to, you know, make all this money. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't, that doesn't interest me at all. I don't think that's where my gifts are. <laughs> and, and now I'm working in, in the church in the ministry. Um, and and I, I haven't ever asked this to my family, but sometimes I wonder if they're like surprised that my life centers so much around justice, especially justice for immigrants. And because I, I, I think when they left their homes, they, they didn't say, I'm going to leave my home. So my son can advocate for our community, for our people, right? Um, but they just wanted a better life for me. And, and, I, and, and I'm wondering if, um, I'm trying to formulate this into a question, but like, if, if that's, if, uh, if your mom or your dad or your, your parents or family has ever expressed that to you, like, oh, wow, like, I didn't expect that you would, you would become this person that's become a voice, you know, for, for, for us, for, and then people who have gone through our struggle. That's funny. Yeah. Well, to start, my mom just said, she would tell me, do whatever makes you happy as long as you 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 know that education is something that is going to make you strive. So whatever you do, education is not going to hurt you. It's only going to help you um, because she only was able to go up until I think second, first, first or second grade. So to her, any level of education above that was winning. And for my dad, he I think he would have. And he still says it. Oh, um, you should have maybe uh, studied nursing or something because I uh, mucho trabajo and they get paid very well. And then, um, but it, it's never something like, oh, you should have done this. No, it it was because my dad is not really um, involved in my life physically. He lives in Mexico, so there's like there's that that separation. But um, if over the phone, he would probably some, say something like that. And it would be hard for me to explain to him what I do or what I, you know, but yeah. I, in the end, he's, he's still, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still happy that I, I have a job to start with. And that's something that a lot of people even today struggle with. Um, and I feel accomplished in that sense. Um, and I'm still studying. But um, one of the things that other family members have said I have a, my madrina often tells me, you're going to be a speaker. You're going to be, you're going to be, I feel, I feel like you're going to be that one person that's going to go to conferences and motivational speaking. And to yeah. me, I'm thinking what I just told you, I cannot give anybody motivational speeches because they just don't come out of me like that. <laughs> I can show you motivation maybe through other ways, but I can't talk about motivation or, or I don't feel it as my gift to to express that motivation that way through talking even though awkwardly enough I work as a <laughs> public speaker training trainer right so um it's it's funny that she sees it that way and while I am involved in doing podcasts and people coming in inviting me to be a panelist um or do a reflection with my art piece and talk about it I don't consider that to be a motivational speaker. The ones that you see maybe on YouTube talking about, you know, from the ground up and then yelling to the top of their lungs, you know, this is, you know, something that powerful. I don't see it in me like that. I see it somewhere else where maybe it's just sharing a piece of artwork and talking about it or having a conversation. So um, it's funny where the family sees <laughs> all kinds of things, right. but I feel like where I am and everything that I've lived um, and what has brought me to this point here is is where I need to be. So um, I'm happy with that. So as we wrap up, um, what would you say or what would you hope that people listening to your story and um, being introduced to your art, what would you what, what would you hope that they take away from your story? I think that acknowledging that everybody's story is different. Um, no two, like I said, no two stories, even just the border crossing is the same. The same would go for everybody in this world. Um, our lives are completely different. Um, we may live through similar situations, but in the end, we've got different perspectives, different ways of feeling, different ways of thinking, you know, being in reality with each other. But um, I think in terms of my art, what people can take away is that 
the struggle continues. So there's there's a line that we can we can match with Jesus, right? And for most of us, is matching him through the struggle that he lived. As Latinos, we identify with him in his struggle, but we also know, and we sometimes forget that the resurrection comes in the end, right? And that's 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 where other cultures, let's say, like the um, Anglo culture. They see the resurrection, I think, a little bit more important than the actual struggle of us walking with Jesus and carrying his cross. Um, and you may hear family, like just two, two weeks ago, my mom had um, caught up with a friend of hers from the same town that we we're in. And she, she told her, Ay, tu cruz tan pesada que te tocó. And then I'm like, wow, why did you tell her that? Like, that, that sounds so mean. And she's like, no, cada quien tiene su cruz. Ella sabe que mi cruz es, es diferente y, y ella le tocó diferente. And then the, the lady responded. Dice, sí, sí, cierto. Pero me fui a un cuarto y cambié mi cruz. Y esa me quedaba muy pesada. Y, <laughs> y las otras cruces no me quedaban. Y ya volví a donde, donde era la, la mía. Y esa, esa sí, sí me, me quedaba bien. Even though to us, I mean, her cross was, I mean, whatever she was, she has lived through, it's something that maybe we don't think that we could live through, but we underestimate, underestimate ourselves and what God plays in our lives because we're able to. And, and that, that brings us into the resurrection, that, that hopeful, that, that being hopeful, that something is something better, something greater is on the other side. And that's what people, that's the mentality that we have when we take on these journeys of change, of struggle, and all kinds of things, um, starting from maybe moving from one place to another, but it could also be changing majors, right? So that, that's where I see it. All right, that's a wrap for my interview with Jacqueline Romo. I really hope that you enjoyed our discussion. And now we're going to transition to the teaching segment of this podcast and as a reminder the teaching segment is not some homily that i'm going to give or academic presentation or anything like that but typically it's an opportunity to connect some of the themes from the interviewees words that they shared that indirectly or directly connect to our catholic social teaching For the purpose of this episode, however, I'm going to uh, pivot just a slight because mainly, to be completely frank, I didn't have the time to do the typical research I would do to find a relevant church document that relates to this topic, but also because the source that I was reminded of wasn't actually from our Catholic social teaching, but from an author whose book I have read before, and, and this is the scholar known as Eric H.F. Law, who wrote the book that has really guided my own ministry in a, in a multicultural setting that is the parish that, that I, I work at, and it's called The Wolf Shall Dwell with the Lamb, A Spirituality for Leadership in Multicultural Community. And I thought about this author, and I'm going to draw from one of the chapters from his book for this teaching segment, because it connects to what um, Jacqueline said at the end of this interview, where she talks about how how uh, the immigrant community relates so easily to the passion of Christ, uh, to the struggle, the pain, the suffering, right? They see themselves in the crucified Jesus so easily. However, they remain there. They remain in that suffering. And as a community, we, we tend to forget that the cross is not the end, right? After the cross comes resurrection and hope and joy, right? Um, and so that those words that she shared really resonated with me. So I'm going to just share a, a few words from this chapter, from this book, um, for this for this teaching, teaching segment. And I hope that it's a value to you as, as, much, as much as it has been to me because it's really helped me reframe my whole way of um, you know navigating multicultural settings especially in a church-based setting so without further ado here we go in chapter 8 of the wolf shall dwell with the lamb eric law outlines a model for living the gospel in multicultural settings he calls it the cycle of gospel living 
And this model perfectly relates to how Jacqueline described the immigrant community's tendency to only focus on the cross and not enough on the resurrection. According to Locke, quote, The powerful cannot stay powerful, and the powerless cannot stay powerless. There needs to be movement between the two in order for the gospel to come alive for each group. This movement has to be cyclical. A little further on, he goes on to say, quote, Death without resurrection is a total loss. The cross without the empty tomb is nothing but a symbol of death. End quote. In other words, if the immigrant community only dwells on their suffering and struggle, then they risk falling into meaningless and paralyzing despair and hopelessness. Rather than actively working to improve their circumstances, they resign to the status quo and say things like, just that's the way things are, and there's nothing we can do about it. It's God's will. Or what you often hear in the, in, in the Hispanic immigrant community, pues esa es la cruz que me tocó. That's the cross that I was given for my life. And so I have to accept it and I have to bear it. God does not will pain, suffering, injustice, and poverty. And as the parable of the useless servant shows us, God definitely doesn't will us to just remain passive and accept things as, as they are out of fear or out of yeah, you know, feelings of un- unworthiness. In turn, this attitude can lead to a victim mentality and internalized oppression, which reinforces self-fulfilling negative stereotypes, resulting in self-destructive behavior. Put differently, the immigrant community begins to believe what those in authority, the powerful, say about them. That they're subhuman, that they're inferior, that they're incapable of dignified tasks and a burden to society. And there's practical and economic implications for immigrants if they remain powerless and focus only on the crucified Jesus. For example, they might not ask for more money at the job that they're at, or they might not pursue additional training education to advance themselves in life because they believe that they have to suffer to win God's approval. God wants us to be empowered and to actively work to change the circumstances that are oppressing us. In other words, he wants us to be protagonists in the story of our lives. So I'm with Jacqueline here in feeling the sense of responsibility to interrupt when we hear our immigrant brothers and sisters say things like this, right? That, you know, that they're not worthy, that this is just God's will, this is the cross I have to bear. No, I I think for people in positions like mine and Jacqueline's, we need to say, no, you're, you're better than that. God wants more for you. Think about the resurrection. Think about the hope and the promises that he has given people like us, right? The poor and the humble. You have dignity, you have respect, and you have so many talents that God's given you to do something with. Yes, you are poor. Yes, you are suffering, and you've had to make so many sacrifices. But God has also given you something. He's given you gifts time, talents, opportunities that he's given nobody else. And it's your responsibility to do something with it, to do something that will benefit not only you, not only your family, but your community, your country, and the whole wide world. But in order to uh, enable this dynamic to happen where the, the powerless, the immigrant community can, can move into the resurrection and, and the promises and joy and empowerment, Those of us who are in positions of power, influence, and prestige and privilege, we have to move too. There has to be a give and take. We have to release and renounce the power that we have so that there could be room and opportunity for the powerless to to thrive, right? To change their circumstances. But let us not remain stuck there. Let us not remain in feelings of guilt and regret because that's happened to me. I'll be the first to tell you that um, there came a time when all of a sudden, I just became very aware of how lucky and blessed and privileged I was simply for the fact that I had this piece of paper that said I belong in this country and as a result, I have the right to certain resources that other people don't have. Yeah, I, I became paralyzed with, with guilt, right? And um, regret, like just wondering why me? Why do I get all these privileges that my family doesn't get when they've sacrifice way more than me. I have just been a spoiled little brat because I haven't had to sacrifice anything. I've been I feel like if anything I've been shielded from evil and suffering. Um and and I got stuck there for a little bit, right? And there's nothing there's nothing productive about remaining paralyzed in this guilt. 
Uh, but praise be to God, I eventually came to a space where I realized, okay, how can I reprioritize or repurpose the time, the talents, the treasures, the, the gifts that God has given me for people like my family? And, and that's when I started just to reframe all my plans, all my ideas, my goals, my ambitions, my dreams, so that it, it is targeted for the oppressed, for the disempowered and disenfranchised, so that I can work actively in renouncing the, the power that I have and giving it to them. And so now I, I feel that it is my duty, my calling, really, to lift up our people, the communities that experience, you know, poverty and oppression and marginalization um, and, and doing whatever I can to equip them, right, to enact the changes that they want to see in their lives, to be part of the decisions that most impact them. So, my brothers and sisters, I hope that this, this uh, very brief teaching segment resonates with you and specifically this, this gospel or this cycle of, of gospel living, whether you're somebody that identifies with the cross or if you're somebody who who tends to focus more on the joy and the, posi- the, the positivity of the resurrection, let us all remember that we can't stay there. We have to move. We have to constantly be fluid. By being fluid, I mean on a day-to-day basis, you can be moving from a spirituality of the cross to a spirituality of resurrection, depending on who you're encountering, the spaces that you're in and the people that you're around. That concludes another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. My name is Danny. I'm the host of this show. And you just heard my conversation with Jacqueline Romo. Jacqueline, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast to share your story as it relates to the immigrant experience. Like you said, no one immigrant story is the same. Thank you for sharing your unique story and sharing about your artwork and your hopes and vision and dreams for our immigrant community. If you like this episode with Jacqueline, please share it on your social media so other people can find out about it and subscribe to Reclaiming Social Justice wherever you like to listen to your podcast. And I also welcome any feedback that you have about this episode, this season, the podcast in general, any suggestions that you might have for future guests or or topics uh, or interviews. I welcome all that. There's a short feedback form in the show notes. So my brothers and sisters, I'll see you next time on the last Wednesday of the month for another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. Take care.